Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns about the outdoors, oh my goodness gracious, when it's this warm, what's it going to do to your tulips and everything else or your who knows what? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? We get together every Saturday morning and we'll discuss your yard, your landscape, your trees, your shrubs, your house plants. Actually, I drove, I drove, no, I walked through the neighborhood a lot. I walked down to Snooks at uh, basically Hampton and Gravoy. It's about a two-mile each way walk, not quite, but close. And uh, somebody still had a Boston fern that was hanging outside, and it hadn't been damaged by the cold yet, which is a little bit surprising. Maybe they're taking it in and out, and they're tricking me. I don't really know. But anyway, how about pruning? How about diseases? How about bugs? How about uh, plant removal? And you still have plenty of time to plant trees and shrubs. So woody plant material and also spring flowering bulbs. you got plenty of time to get those in the ground too. Uh, leave your roses alone. No pruning on the roses yet. It hasn't been cold enough. You want to make sure that it's really cold. So usually that's going to be sometime around... Oh, early December is historically when it is. But you want a hard freeze. But please remember my words are strictly open opportunities. After that, it's work on your part in this great marathon called gardening. And the sprints just don't work. They're very short term. Yes, just like a sprint. And they uh, don't have any echo effect. This is your show, and I appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since it's... Inception in 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. Revised Missouri Gardener's Guide, which is 165 plants with color pictures and information about each individual plant. And then Month-by-Month Gardening in Missouri. And that tells you how to take care of all those various plants throughout the entire year. Also, I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And I just wrote, finished the article for the – can you believe this – March-April issue, so that shows you how far ahead you have to get these articles written. And I wrote it about post-bloom care of your spring flowering bulbs, so that will be in the March-April issue of the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come over to your home and do what I call a walk-and-talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's an email address and phone number where I can be reached. And uh, sorry about my website. You know, I kind of got bored with it, so I haven't updated pictures and all that other stuff. But the information is good. The words are good. Just, you know, I just got bored with it. So anyway, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. All the fallen leaves are really sparkling this morning. As there was an early morning drizzle, I don't exactly know when it happened, but it made everything just, I mean, really glisten. The clouds above were starting to lighten 
slightly. So the sun was coming through the clouds. As I was heading north on King's Highway to, uh, over to Shaw's Garden, actually I went to the historic entrance of the you know Shaw's Garden or Missouri Botanical Garden. And above the entranceway, the historic entranceway, it reads in the cut stone, Missouri Botanical Garden, 1858. So that's when it really started. This entranceway, when I worked at the Botanical Garden way back when, uh, this is actually where people actually came in. You came in, you came in, and you saw the Climatron in the distance when you came in. Also, this historic building, which now serves as more or less a party venue and that kind of thing, that's where the gift shop was. And as I said before, this is where you bought the tickets to actually get into the Botanical Garden. So that shows you how really old I am. Yeah, but the planters on each side of the entranceway, this historic entranceway on Tower Grove Avenue, just uh, I guess that would be south of Shaw Avenue, um, variegated liriope running along the foundation of the, of the uh, building. And uh, there was a bunch of yellow fan-shaped ginkgo leaves all over the ground. And those, you know, there's not a ginkgo right there nearby. So I think they were on the inside of the building and they actually had blown in that direction, which would have been east. How did that happen? I didn't know there was prevailing winds to the east. And there's some well-budded magnolia trees there still holding on to foliage. The boxwood hedge was really pruned, like almost with laser precision. There were some great texture changes with some knockout roses. And some of the knockout roses, they weren't quite getting enough light to grow, so they were leaning towards the light. Gold thread branch cypress as well, slightly drooping needles. That's what the great thing about them is. Uh, a cardinal flew by. I thought, wow, it's kind of dark for cardinals to be out. And he was just peeping or chirping. I know it was a male because it was dark red or red or whatever. Uh, Robin kept chirping also, asking, what am I doing there? And the crickets were singing, it's over 65 degrees. So they were happy as heck. The breeze was blowing through the trees, and uh, it was just a great day to be outside and having fun. So get out there while it's warm. A girl's on the run, as Brian said. I can see, you know, the sort of the, I guess, pavilions or tents or whatever where people have to sign up. So that's going to happen real soon. I think 8.30, one of the races start. But anyway... Perfect day to be outside. In the, you know, probably another week or so. There's not going to be very many leaves left on the trees. So, if you've got a favorite tree, you like to go take a selfie or something like that, please do that. So, again, Mike Miller, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. First call is going to be from Maryland Heights. Catherine, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. My question deals with I've got two berry bushes in containers. One's a blueberry bush. Another is a raspberry bush, again, in containers. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not sure how to handle them in the winter time. Last winter I brought them in, but they kind of got unhappy, very unhappy. Absolutely. But they did manage to survive. And I don't hate, don't want to leave them out there and have them free. So I'm just looking for some help and advice with these. I'm just new to that. Uh, basically, you have a garden space at all? Outside? Uh, a small garden space, yes. 
I would say the best thing to do is dig a hole and just drop the pot down into a hole and leave about an inch or so of the top edge of the pot above the surrounding ground, and then just that's the best thing you can do. Great. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Are they, are they any watering or, I mean, mulching or anything on top of that? Uh, you could probably, you know, do a couple inches of mulch, but I, you know, I wouldn't even, you know, really worry too much about the mulch. But, uh, you know, just make sure if we have an extended dry period, they're going to be in the ground, so they're not going to dehydrate nearly as much as they do when, the, like, the pot's sitting above the ground. But if we have, let's say, three or four weeks with no rain, you might want to take some water out just to make sure the root system stays, you know, hydrated, you know, watered or whatever. And beyond that, that's about all you really need to do. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, sure. And thank you. And yeah, that's a good combination of berries. And just remember with the blueberries, blueberries like a very, very acidic soil. So, you know, you're going to have to make sure that you keep putting like sulfur, iron sulfate and those type of things on the blueberries because that is really crucial for them to stay healthy and wealthy and I guess wise too. Let's go to Fenton now from Maryland Heights and see what's going on with Ted. Ted, how are you today? Good, Mike. I appreciate your show. Um, my parents have a very mature crepe myrtle, and every spring I cut it down to the ground for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it grows like 10, 12 foot during the course of the summer. I've recently planted one, kind of a new one. It's probably about five foot tall. Um, planted it over the summer, and it did real well. Can I do the same thing with a young crepe myrtle like that in the spring, or should I should I hold off? Uh, basically, it doesn't have any foliage, so you might you can cut it off. I never really like to cut anything you know that severe, but if you had luck with it, that's not to say you're going to have luck with this one. But you've had a history that dictates that this is what you've had you know good luck with. So yeah, I'd say go ahead and do it. So in the spring, I could cut it down to the ground level. Right. Just make sure you do it before there's any kind of emergence of any kind of buds, leaf buds, or anything else. Right, right, before it starts. Uh, okay. I appreciate your time. Thank sure. you very much. Yeah, so and basically you want to probably do the pruning sometime after Valentine's Day before, you know, the Ides of March. That's just a good time where you don't have to worry, you know, worry about it at all. But this, you know, the one that they get that gets 12 feet high, that sounds like a really old time one. I don't see too many of them that get that large anymore. So don't necessarily expect the one that you just bought slash planted this year to get as large as that one. So good luck with that. Let's go to John, and John lives in Overland. John, how are you today? I'm fine, Mike. Good morning. Hi. We have two two viburnum bushes that are about eight years old. They stand about eight feet tall, and I'm we're, we're deciding that we want to transplant one of them if it's possible. We want to put something else in that spot. Uh, they're both on the southwest corner of the house, and they're doing great. Every year I just have to just kind of prune them back a little bit just for aesthetic purposes, nothing, nothing major, maybe about 10% of the bush, but... Is it possible to transplant one of those bushes to about 10 feet away? And if it is, how do I do it? When do I do it? It can be transplanted, but just realize that if they're eight feet high, you're going to have to have a pretty substantial root ball. Right. That's so going to weigh yeah. a heck of a lot of yeah. you know tonnage. You know, I don't know if it's going to be tons, but it's going to be very, very heavy. And the heaviness, you know, once you get it up out of the hole, maybe doesn't make that much difference because you could set it on like a sheet of, you know, let's say some kind of heavy-duty plastic bag and just drive it, you know, drag it to the new location. But, you know, getting it up out of the hole, that's not going to be all that much fun. 
So maybe hiring a, a, a landscaping company that is uh, experienced doing that kind of thing would be better than trying to do it myself. Yeah, unless you just want to go out and you know have the challenge of it. You know, you <laughs> give up your membership at the gym and everything else because you're going to be pumping. But yeah. uh, I would not do it going into wintertime because wintertime, if you've, you're chopping off a whole lot of the roots, the feeder roots, because you're basically going to go out, you know, at least six or eight inches beyond where the, you know, furthest, you know, stems are coming up out of the ground. And then you're going to go down at least one spade depth, if not even a little bit more. So you're reducing the root mass quite a substantial bit. Then when you move okay. it to the new location, if we have a severe winter, you could have, you know, an, you know so the root system get killed back due to the cold. And so uh, then uh. recovery-wise may be very, very iffy. So that's why I'd, my tendency is always to wait until we get past the severe part of wintertime. So just like I was telling a previous gentleman, uh, sometime after Valentine's Day, by mid-March, get it, you know, get it moved before mm-hmm. any kind of new growth begins. Okay. And then do I cut back the, the top part above ground? Do I cut that back severely and have that grow back? Just because uh, I don't want to have the increased load on the on the, the plant itself because of the decreased amount of roots. Is this an evergreen variety or is this deciduous? Deciduous. Okay, so it loses its leaves. So I would say I would not cut it back. I would just wait until the springtime comes around, till the new growth starts okay. emerging, and then cut off anything that doesn't, let's say, have any leaf buds coming on it. Is it a spring bloomer? Is that I'm assuming it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you know. If anything, what, you know, flowering just in general for any plant really kind of causes them a little bit of stress. I would say sacrifice the flowers for this year, you know, this upcoming year. When the flower buds mm-hmm. start opening up, just cut them off. And that way, that would probably be enough to help, you know, get everything back to oh, uh, stable. Yeah. But leave as much foliage as you possibly can because that's okay. where, you know, food is produced by plant material. Nutrients and moisture come up from the root system. They go to the leaf. The leaf uses sun to make, you know, food, and then it shares it with the rest of the plant. But I would not reduce the amount of foliage at all. Okay. But take the, uh, just clip the, the flower buds off. That yeah, exactly. Sense. That makes sense. Sure. Okay, great, Mike. Thank you. I very much appreciate it. Well, great. And also, you know, just make sure it doesn't go through any drought stress through the wintertime or anything else. And you're not going to move it till the wintertime, but just in general, keep it very healthy. So, you know, water it if you have to, because you're, you're kind of getting it ready to be moved. So it's like relocation of people or anything else. You got to kind of get, you know, let's say the physical and emotional aspects of it ready to go. So thanks a lot. We want to get it strong. Okay, exactly. No fertilizer, though. No fertilizer. Right. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you, Mike. Yep. I and if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You always hear me talking about all the weeds and everything else. The cool season annual weeds. Uh, I have rock mulch. mimics the outline of the foundation of my house. And there's one area, I'm not going to say, let's say it borders on somebody else's yard. And they have, uh, they're not really too much into uh, weed control, which is fine. I don't care. Everybody's got their own thing. But sometimes the seeds come, you know, maybe not from their yard. Maybe they're coming off the bottom of my shoes or something else. But the other day I found a lot of henbit. I found a lot of chickweed. And I found a lot of shepherd's purse, you know, growing and some of my rock mulch. 
And that is, you know, those are the cool season weeds. So that was pre-emergent, which I should have put down sometime in mid-August. But I thought I'd had pretty much that area was kind of clear of weed seeds. But besides henbit, dead nettle, common chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, Persian speedwell, that's one with the little tiny blue flowers, and there's some clover and other things too. But that is the cool season weeds. Those germinate in, like I said, mid to late August. They grow all winter long, and then as we get past a severe part of the wintertime, they start flowering and then consequently dropping seeds and the only way to control them is with a pre-emergent. So that's separate from the annual warm season weeds, which you put the pre-emergent down for them and when the fourth scythia is in bloom. So I was shocked to see how much hinbit there was. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This Christmas, help make the season bright with the United States Marine Corps and KMOX as we present Bikes for Tykes. We're on a mission to collect as many new bikes as we can to make sure every child has a gift for Christmas. On December 8th and 9th, we'll host a 36-hour bike drive in the Toys R Us parking lot in Sunset Hills. Between now and the 9th, get special Bikes for Tykes pricing on new bikes at the Sunset Hills Toys R Us. Find out more and how to help at KMOX.com bikes. Made possible by our partners, SSN Health Physical Therapy, the overhead door company of St. Louis, and Steve Butts at Crawford Butts Insurance. Agency. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. In my yard, I've been raking the leaves, yes. I've been also using my multi-mower, so chopping some up. Because I have, between the sidewalk and street, I have the sedum acre, which is gold moss, blah, 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 yellow flower, may, all this other stuff. And I find that if I rake the leaves off that, I tear up a lot of it. So I just run my mulching mower over the top of it. It doesn't seem to suck up a bunch of the gold moss or anything else. It just chops the leaves. And another way, you know, if you've got a circumstance similar to that, I have found that just using a regular broom you can sweep leaves off ground covers and things like that. You don't necessarily want to, let's say, even cut with a mower, and you can't use a rake. So my neighbors always look at me really funny when they drive by and see me sweeping you know, bed spaces with a broom. They think, what is he doing? And then you know, sometimes they will ask me later on or if I see him again, and I just say, it's easier to get the leaves off this ground cover without damaging the ground cover by just using a broom. So, I mean, be innovative. That's what the whole idea and the whole fun thing is in the outdoors. Uh, remember also, get those bulbs planted sometime, you know, relatively soon before the ground starts freezing. So your daffodils go down about six inches. Your tulips go down about five or six inches, you know, more like four or five. Your crocus go one to two. Your grape hyacinths go about one inch or so. So the smaller the bulb, the closer up to the surface it actually goes. But the daffodils go by, you know, they go the deepest, six inches. And as I said, I've been planting for years in all kinds of different pots and, if you, you know, my spring flowering bulbs. So consequently, you know, I've even gone to, to find out exactly what's going to happen to some smaller pots that are only about 12 inches high. But, uh, you know, they have, you know, they're about 12 or 14 inches deep. So there's going to be some soil underneath the bulbs and everything else. 
and then I planted them. Also, what I did this year, too, is I have some of the St. Louis composting mulch on top of my pots, but also I live right across the street from Christie Park. There's some huge white pines out there. So the other day I went and gathered pine cones. So I'm using some pine cones as a mulch on top of some of my planted pots that have spring flowering bulbs. I thought the pine cones would just be a little different. I used to use pea gravel. Then I went to nothing but cedar mulch from St. Louis Composing. And now I have half cedar mulch pot covering the pots. And the other one is just pine cones. Sharon is in Edwardsville. Sharon, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mike. Great. I have a question today about um, oak leaf hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. When do you cut those back? Uh, you really you don't need to. Oh, really? Yeah. Mine are very tall. Yeah, they will get very tall. They genetically they are going to get you know ten to twelve feet high, and some of them can even get a little bit higher. Uh, what you can do is you can prune them, but if you got how many stems coming up out of the ground, don't cut them all back to the same height. This is a natural-looking shrub. It's you know great because of the leaf shape and the size of the you know and the shape of the flowering. So uh, you know, cut about half of them, let's say halfway back, and just leave the other ones the same length as they are. And when the new growth starts off the ones you've cut back, then go ahead and cut the other ones back if you're trying to reduce the overall size of it. Do those? Do you treat those differently than just a regular hydrangea plant? As far as cutting back. Uh, Some hydrangeas, most of the time people are pruning hydrangeas and they're really goofing up things. I try to tell people, stop pruning on hydrangeas. Wait until the winter comes. If there are stems that are there that don't produce any leaves, cut those off all the way at ground level. But everything else, just leave alone. Because we we get things out of sequence as far as blooming goes. We don't know. Well, this I, this is might be a spring bloomer, like a PG hydrangea is a spring bloomer. So consequently, you prune that in the fall or in the winter time or early spring, you're not going to have any flowers for that year. And we get things out of sequence. So I say hydrangeas should be left alone. Okay, thanks a lot, Mike. I enjoy your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And let's stay in Illinois and go up to Godfrey from Edwardsville and go over to Connie's yard. Hi, Connie. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Um, We have clay soil. How do I improve that so that my plants will grow? Uh, Basically, I plant just like keels over. Right. Basically, you're going to have to add organic matter to it. So in other words, you're going to have to come in, you know, Churn the soil up, you know, take the existing plants out if there are existing plants you want to save. You know, put them in pots, you know, put them in, you know, sink them into a hole if you can. That's the best thing you can possibly do. And just, you know, spade, rototill the area that you're trying to improve. Then add about two to three or four inches of compost, work that into the ground. And that's really the only way you're going to be able to do it. Wow. Yeah. It's not easy. I can make a set of dishes from this. <laughs> <laughs> or bricks. That's what clay, clay and sand together, that's what bricks are all about. That's why it's very difficult to grow plant material. Now, another option is I don't know how much space you have or anything else, but doing a raised bed. So, in other words, you put siding on it, you know, whatever, the, the plastic composite-type wood, which is sawdust and plastic melted together so it looks like boards and everything else, and set that, you know, make a raised bed circumstance, then buy a topsoil compost mix and just backfill that whole space. 
So that's a way to avoid having to improve the soil. Now, before you would do that, though, make sure that you churn up the soil where you're going to put the raised bed so it doesn't turn into just be like a solid mass and the water doesn't actually percolate down below, you know, your raised bed space. Okay, so I put a a sealer, what do I put, but I don't understand. Can you say that again? You want to churn up the soil where you're building your raised bed. Okay. Then you put the siding of your raised bed. You could use composite wood if you want. You could use bricks. You could use cobblestones, whatever you want to build the siding. Then you so get I have to put like a sealer between the soil and my raised bed. No, no, don't bother. You don't need to do that. Okay. So that's, you know, that would be useless. I mean, if you, you know, if you felt like, oh, the weeds are going to drive me nuts or anything else, you could put landscape fabric down there in between because landscape fabric lets water go through. But you want to make sure the water can percolate down through the, you know, the so- soil compost mix that you have in the raised bed down in t- and penetrate into the clay soil that you do have. Okay. So, okay. And that's, Thank you very much, Mike. Yeah, and what you can do is you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot, M-O-B-O-T dot O-R-G dot org, and they'll sh- you, know, you can see exactly how to make raised beds. Oh, excellent. Thank you so much. Yep. And let's see if we can get another call in. Concord Village, that's where Bob lives. Hi, Bob. Yeah. You there, Bob? Oh, bad connection. Yeah, hey, Mike. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, hey, listen. An aloe plant. Uh, I picked up one uh, 20 years ago from a deceased relative and keep it growing to this day. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the summertime, I put them in a shade to get a little bit of sun. I put them in a 6-8 inch uh, clay pot and uh, water them maybe a, a tidbit once a week. They don't take a lot of water, I don't believe. Right. And uh, I've been going for 20 years. I guess I'm on the right program here. <laughs> then <clears throat> they, they multiply so uh, greatly uh, during the the summer in this six eight inch pot, and I I I I take out two or three or four of them, put them in singularly in another pot, and I set them in a sunroom for the winter where it gets down to maybe fifty degrees, and uh, maybe uh, once a week I give them a third of a cup of water, and I have a single plant go- growing after I take the all the plants that are generated during the summer, I give them to a garden club. Right. And then these women, oh, they have 50, 60 plants, 70 plants to transplant into little pots. And I believe they sell them for, as a fundraiser. Perfect. But anyhow, the question is, is uh, uh, this is uh, the program is, and I, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, is put a singly, put one plant in a pot and set it in my sunroom like I've been doing, and don't overwater them. Is that, is that about it? That's about it. I mean, okay. you know, the aloe vera, you know, they're, they're great for medication as far as for, let's say, burns on skin and things like that, sunburn or anything at all, skin rashes. Yeah. And this is, you know, I mean, you're doing it perfectly. Okay, but they don't take a lot of water, right? Exactly. You water them, and they will start wilting, and they don't recover if you've overwatered them, and virtually you're rotting the root system, and then consequently they don't, you know, I mean, recovery is very iffy at best. Do they take much fertilizer? I put a tablespoon of melargonite on the on the six inch flower pot for one plant. Yeah, that's plenty. I mean, the, uh, maybe every few months. Yeah, that's all you need to do. Okay, well, great. 
Thank you for your uh, help. Well, thank I you. I didn't I really help your, you. Help I enjoy you. your program. Well, thank you for having me on your show, as I said. And uh, you certainly didn't need my help. You're doing everything exactly well, right. I, I'll tell you what. They, they do sometimes, and I think it's because I have overwatered them, they turn a, a very a dull-looking green. Right. They look sick. Right. And, and then when you back off on the water, I guess that sort of does it. And uh, as I said, I think they're sort of a cactus plant anyhow are they not exactly they're in the cactus family yeah yeah okay i do the best i grow tomatoes and i got rhubarb and other odds and ends well great well i grew up on a truck garden farm as a boy well sounds sounds perfect so you know exactly what you're doing in the 40s (laughs) well thanks bob and okay. anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Weekday mornings, 5 to 8.30. Total Information AM brings you world, national, and local news. Traffic and weather together every 10 minutes. The world of sports and so much more. Then at 8.30. It's Total Information AM Overtime. We'll get you inside the news stories of the day. What's trending on Facebook and Twitter? And what's breaking the Internet? If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. On Total Information AM Overtime. Weekday mornings at 8.30 on KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller. Sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, as I said before, this is a good time of year to also install plant material, woody plant material, trees and shrubs. So you can go to your favorite garden center, you know, and they're going to have them. And they've got great selections of them. You know, the year-round garden centers. The ones that are seasonal, I don't even know if they're still open or they probably don't have any plant material at all. But just remember that, let's say you buy something, oh, it gets too cold, you don't want to do it, something else happens. Just keep the, you know, the purchase that you made, tree or shrub, make sure that it's watered. So even if you've turned off your faucets going to the outdoors and you're going to have to carry buckets of water from the inside out to keep these plants watered, whether they're in pots or whether they're in burlap, because you do not want the root ball to get dehydrated because then it's going to be bad, bad news potentially once you do get it installed. And remember, the diameter of the hole that you're going to put this new plant into is three times the diameter of the root ball that it currently has. And also only about 80% as deep. So you want the top of the crown above the surrounding the ground areas. And then one to two or three to four inches of mulch, that's all you really need. Minimize the amount of mulch that's up against the bark of anything because it's just an invitation to potential problems. Jennifer lives in St. Louis. Jennifer, how are you today? Great, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. Earlier you said not to cut back hydrangeas. Right. Uh, what about hibiscus? I have a couple of them outside, and in the past, after they bloom, I cut them back almost, you know, a couple inches from the ground, like in September, and I did not get to it this year. Uh, basically, I mean, you're talking about Rosa Sharon. They're in the hibiscus family. They're hardy. They're tough. Some people prune them back just because they want to, and let's say they're control nuts or whatever it happens to be, but... You don't have to really prune them. Again, next year when the new growth starts, you know, the leaves are going to come out first because these are summer bloomers. And then consequently, if there's any kind of twigs, branches, or anything else that does not produce any leaves, you can just cut those off if you want to. But you can still, you have time to do some pruning if you still want to get them done. Oh, okay. I didn't know if it was getting too cold. No, it really isn't. They're tough. Because they're pretty ugly looking. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Sure. 
<laughs> Bye. Oh, rolls of children are ugly. <laughs> Lots of things are ugly this time of year. <laughs> At the end of our street, when I you know, I look out, I stare out windows. But anyway, there's a cemetery, you know, a block away from us. And there is some scary looking trees in that cemetery as far. Well, it's actually not in the cemetery. It's right before you get to the cemetery. But some of the branches almost look like something out of Halloween. So when the leaves fall off the trees, you go, oh, my goodness gracious, this is really scary. But anyway, thanks a lot, Jennifer. And now let's go to Florence. Florence, how are you today? Fine. Thank you so much. Uh, listen, I have a trellis on my in my back porch. And uh, I grow wisteria over it. I have four plants, one on each corner. It grows over the top. And it, and um, some of the wood is rotting away. And I was wondering if I should just cut the whole thing back. Um, and uh, even though I realize if I cut it now, I won't have any blooms next year. But the, but it's a, it's a really old plant. It's been there for years and years. And uh, if I cut it back, it, I get all a whole bunches of new growth in, in the fall, in the spring. That's correct. So you're asking, so you're saying you have some dead wood on your wisteria, not your trellises rotting. Correct. Dead wood on the wisteria. You can just selectively take out the dead wood if you want to. I mean, you don't necessarily have to cut it all back, you know, equal or anything at all. I mean, it may be a little bit more difficult, but uh, you could certainly do it that way if you want. It does, you know, I mean, it's a personal choice as much as anything. Okay. So uh, it's, it grows about two feet tall over the top of the the trellis. I know. I mean, they get, they're massive. And it's lucky that your trellis is still standing. And maybe it actually the wisteria is supporting the trellis because those could things. could be too because they're four by fours, but the wisteria has twisted all the way around them. Right. And I mean, they can pull, you know, boards apart and everything else. That's why wisteria is something to definitely keep away from your house. Yes. I, I have to, we have a space between the trellis and the house where we just use the chainsaw to knock off the <laughs> You're exactly, you're doing it perfect. <laughs> so, so just cut out the deadwood. I don't have to cut the whole thing back. No, not at all. So, and you can, you know, I mean, if there's obviously deadwood that you can go ahead and prune right now because, you know, you can do that. Or if you need to, you can wait till next spring when the, you know, it starts leafing back out and cut out the deadwood at that time. So you got a couple different opportunities. Okay, that sounds great. I have one other question about those oak leaf hydrangeas. Uh-huh. I have one in the front, and I didn't realize they get quite as big as they get. Yes. Is it? Can I move it, or is it? Uh, is there a rule on when you should move it, and how big it has to be? You know, before you can't move it anymore. Yeah, just it's the weight of the root ball. That's a major thing about moving them. Yes, you can move it. I don't like to move something going into wintertime because we're tearing up the root system. And if we have a severe winter, it could just be major damage to it. And you've gone to all this effort to, you know, transplant it to a new location. So I would say wait until we get past the worst time in winter, temperature-wise, and then you can go ahead and move it at that time. Like March or April, you were talking about the Ides of March? Yeah, the Ides of March. and Sometime after Valentine's Day to the Ides of March. That's just, you know, a good way for people to remember, you know, you can get things moved. Usually there hasn't been any new growth you know, starting to emerge on something definitely like an oak leaf hydrangea. Okay, great. Thank you so much, and thank you for your show. Well, thank you, and let's go to Dave in St. Peter's. Dave, how are you today? I'm doing terrific. How are you doing? Very good. I have a question. Um, I found a real nice, about two-foot scotch pine 
to replace one that died from the drought this summer, mm-hmm. is it too late to put them in the ground? Oh, no. This is a perfect time of year for planting any kind of woody plant, whether it's deciduous, evergreen, broadleaf evergreen, or conifer, you know, which has needles. So, no, this is a good time to do it. Fantastic. Uh, so I can do it until the ground freezes over? Exactly. And okay. uh, basically just wa- make sure it's well watered before you put it in the ground. So in other words, if you don't get it planted in the next few days, and the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but make sure the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. So that right. will make sure that you don't have any kind of, let's say, water sitting around the base of it and kill it. Right, right. And how often should I water it until the, we get a good freeze? Uh, probably, you know, every few days in the first few days that you after you plant it. But after that, probably once every couple weeks should be adequate. Okay, very good. Thank you. Yep, good luck with that. And, yeah, I mean, this is a perfect time of year for planting any kind of woody plant material. Broadleaf, well, I would stay away from planting rhododendrons or azaleas or something like that. Broadleaf evergreens uh, going into wintertime, ooh, newly installed. I'd even be a little bit queasy about holly. But uh, any, th- pretty much anything else, uh, you say, well, what else is there as far as broadleaf? Well, there's all kinds of viburnums. There's magnolias and things like that. But broadleaf evergreens are just a little bit more touchy, you know, getting planted because we have no idea what our weather is going to be like. I mean, who would have thought today it was going to be 65 at, you know, 6 o'clock this morning? It's just totally crazy, totally nuts. You just never know what's going to happen. So broadleaf evergreens, you know, getting planted going into wintertime because we don't. It could be, you know, 50 below zero wind chills or something next week. Who knows? I mean, I appreciate all the work of the weather people and everything else, but it is just a guess and a roll of the dice. So if anybody does have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're not going to be taking any more calls until, you know, after the news, but you can get in line. Things, you know, in your, let's say, garage, any kind of liquids, you know, minimize, don't buy any new liquids, even if they're on sale, all this other stuff, because sitting in your garage, unless it's, you know, heated, you could, I mean, you could alter these chemicals a little bit. So you just want to be very, very cautious about doing that. And with the existing stuff you have, hmm, they should be okay, but you just don't know. I mean, and you say, well, what difference it could possibly make? Well, let's say you got a, a weed begun that's only supposed to kill broadleaf weeds. And then it got frozen or, you know, chilled or something happened to it. And now it not only kills broadleaf weeds, but it kills grassy weeds too. And you thought, well, what's going on here? So just, you know, be smart. Don't buy bulky, you know, big amounts of stuff with the idea I'm going to save money in the future because saving money may cause you problems. So if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. Back after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.